Live from the 607, it's the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour, where we're talking everything going on in the world of sports. Join in the conversation on social media with the hashtag ODPH, because here we go. Welcome to an all-new edition of the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. What's happening, everybody? Thank you so much for joining us this week. My name is Ken M. Joining me in studio, as always, you know him. He's the co-host. His name is Padawan J. Who made all the water tequila? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. You had to go there. Uh-huh. You had to go there. That was a real spit take, too. That was. was He's a, good. Don't worry. It was only Gatorade. It was only Gatorade. It was not tequila and the... um. <laughs> Uh, what? How do we even define that? Is, is the, the, has that been given a gate name yet? No, but probably the dumbest mistake since allegedly, because I read some articles online that McFoley once did it to The Rock, and it ended up being a cup of chew. Yeah, back in the day. Uh, so the dumbest move since the McFoley did it to The Rock. If you want more information on that story, because, I mean, we could talk about it at the end of the show. We could for some fun. Oh my God, you want to talk AEW? I know it's cold outside, but I think hell just froze over here on the ODPH. Because in case you're just tuning in for the first time, we are talking sports of all types here as we do each and every week. And if you want to find out more about what we do here at the ODPH Podcast, Pad, where do we go? ODPHpodcast.com. Right on. Swing on over to the website. Check out all the social media links. They're right there on the front page. Check out the uh, T Public Store. A lot of stuff coming on there, so you definitely want to make sure you're swinging over there to go get some ODPH swag for the new year, new month, new season, whatever you need. It's new, and it's for you. You can also check out the Patreon link, one tier, $2 a month, and a whole lot of content on the way. Parlay Points blog section, the classified section, which has friends of the show, such as 3FN Podcast, Dragon Master Games, the directory. Pat, how many providers are we on? Uh, 370,000. Sounds about right to me. The music section. Basically, if it's anything and everything that is the ODPH, you can find it at odphpodcast.com. And always remember to use on social media the hashtag ODPHpod. But you came to hear some sports talk. We came to deliver. And there's no bigger sports story going on right now than the NFL franchise tags getting dropped as today is the day of declaration. I'll say uh, 4 p.m. Eastern time was the deadline, uh, which as of recording has come and gone. So uh, teams have had until 4 p.m. to use their designated franchise tags uh, on players that will be uh, are supposed to become free agents. If those players that were supposed to become free agents did not get franchise tagged in some fashion, uh, well, they're not free agents or will be at the start of the new year. Yes, this officially kicks off the new season of the NFL. Obviously, after the Super Bowl, there is a quiet period. Yep. Not a lot is going on. But once you start placing franchise tags on players, free agency is going to be starting very soon as well. Uh-huh. And then you go to the NFL draft. So really, business is picking back up for the largest sport in North America. And normally, this whole franchise tag deadline usually passes by without so much as a whimper. Mm-hmm. So, you know, kind of like a pebble getting dropped in the in the river. You know, there's a couple of names that, like, if you're a fan of the team, you go, oh, okay, I'm glad we franchise tag that guy. Oh, I'm, I'm bummed we didn't franchise tag that person. But this is probably the first year that at least I can remember of there being this much noise and this much talk and, and outside of the diehard NFL fans that, like, watch the, every combine and watch every mock draft and all this other stuff. They're like, 
average fans are paying attention to? Well, it's due to the fact that there are some very high-profile players that are getting affected by this. Mm -hmm. And usually that leads to a domino effect throughout the league. Because when you're placed with a franchise tag, you have to match the highest paid uh, salary for said position. Mm -hmm. And this year, the quarterback position has been one that everybody's been focusing on. There's a few free agents. Yes, because we know that there's one that made it very well known last season that they were going to take their chances for a new contract after they played. Mm -hmm. And their status we're going to get to in just a bit, but there was one domino that fell that really kind of set the stage for a lot more teams to reevaluate their plans. Yeah. And, Pad, who kicked everything off? So that was uh, former Las Vegas Raiders quarterback Derek Carr, who, of course, was let go by the team and uh, able to sign wherever the heck he wanted. They weren't going to trade him. Uh, And on, I want to say it was Saturday, maybe Sunday, uh, he signed with the uh, New Orleans Saints. And reading from an article on ESPN.com, courtesy of Catherine Terrell, uh, it says, quote, former Los Angeles, or excuse me, former Las Vegas Raiders quarterback Derek Carr has agreed to a four-year contract with the New Orleans Saints, the team announced on Monday. Monday. Financial terms were not disclosed, but sources told ESPN that Carr agreed to a deal that could potentially be worth up to $150 million and includes up to $100 million in guarantees. Carr will receive $60 million fully guaranteed at signing and another $10 million once he starts year three of the deal. The sources said he will earn he will earn sixty million of the uh, sixty million in the first two years of the deal. Uh, so yeah, some closer in that close quote. So then some closer look at Carr's contract: uh, twenty eight point five million dollars signing bonus. He gets one point five million fully guaranteed salary in twenty twenty three. Thirty million fully guaranteed salary in twenty twenty four. Forty million salary for twenty twenty five, of which ten million becomes fully guaranteed in March twenty twenty four, and the remainder in March twenty twenty five. And then a whopping $50 million salary for 2026, which is not guaranteed. This was a very shocking move. Yeah. Not so much that Derek Carr was parting ways with Las Vegas. I think the... That was abundantly clear. The franchise was ready to move on from him, and obviously his struggles played a big part to their disappointing season this year. Mm -hmm. After acquiring Devontae Adams in free agency, they were poised to make a move. Carr's performance on the field really held them back and just the inconsistency of his play just came back and really hampered their chances of going anywhere in that division, let alone the playoffs. Well, and the, and the thing though, I, and I can't believe I'm only starting to hear this, you know, and maybe it's the apologists or the, the feel bad for your crowd, but like, they're starting to kind of explain that like, well, yeah, Derek Carr didn't have a good year last year because, a lot of their starters were out, and he only had Devontae Adams and the, this and that. And I'm like, okay, could be true, could not be true. You know, I'm not a Raiders fan. I'm not going to sit here and go through every game they they played and see who played and who didn't and put a check mark or an X by it. You know, but you can't deny, even we said it ourselves on, you know, the, the NFL preview show, you know, last year. This is a shit or get off the pot moment for Derek Carr. You got, you brought in Josh McDaniels who was an offensive-minded guru from New England. Mm. You know, you had you brought in Devontae Adams, you brought in Chandler Jones, you had all these guys that you brought in on the defensive side and the offensive side and what have you and spent all that money. And and, a, and I think at least two out of the three of us had them going pretty damn far in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. 
you know, and, and they didn't even make it, you know? So I think it's indicative of his play. Is he worth his money? I mean, maybe, you know, sometimes you need a change of scenery and a fresh change of clothes and it'll work wonders for you, which we'll see. The problem that you have here is for anybody that's trying to defend him with the starters going down for the Raiders, Carr has been playing in the NFL since 2014. So he's not new. He's not new. He is a veteran in the league. He has been down this road before. If he was a rookie, okay, you can give him a pass. But not at this stage. You can't. He just is good enough Mm -hmm. to stay in the league, but he's not great enough to take you any further. No, I'm sorry. His inconsistent play is going to be a problem for a team that is built to win now. If you're in a rebuilding stage... He's probably the guy for you because the expectations are not there. And I don't hate Derek Carr by any stretch of the imagination, but when you have him on the field, he has all the tools to be a great quarterback. Mm -hmm. He just hasn't been able to put it together. I'm sorry. No. So now him going to New Orleans, which they are in a state of flux. They are. I'm not expecting them to do anything. Sean Payton is not the head coach there anymore. So I think anybody thinking that they're a real contender at this stage Sadly mistaken. Well, you got it, and especially like you're like, oh, well, they got Michael Thomas, and they got Alvin Kamara, and they got Taysom Hill. Okay, as somebody who had Michael Thomas on fantasy last year, I think he sat my bench more more games than he actually played. Mm-hmm. And and Alvin Kamara also was inconsistent as fuck last year. You know, so does is Carr an upgrade from from Jameis Winston? Yes. Oh, absolutely. From the from the man who was a proud card carrying member of the fifty touchdowns and fifty interceptions club. He's an obvious upgrade, mm-hmm. but is it going to spell dividends and, and mean they're going to win that division and make it to the promised land? Well, shit. I mean, you just look at the division and the quarterback situation right now. I mean, I'd put him ahead of everybody else in that division to win the division because Tampa Bay, who the fuck knows is going to be their starting, yeah. co- starting quarterback. Brady ain't walking through those doors. Carolina Panthers couldn't even tell you who their starting quarterback is going to be. Uh, you've got New Orleans, who we've mentioned, Derek Carr. And then you've got the Atlanta Falcons, who are letting go of Marcus Mariota. You know, so who the fuck knows is going to be their quarterback come opening week? You know, so you got three teams who really can't even tell who their starting quarterback is going to be week one. We know who one of them is going to be. So if you had to ask me to pick now who's going to win the NFC South, well, by default, it's the guy who's been experienced. Yeah, I mean, the question you got with the NFC South, Carolina's quarterback, Sam Darnold. Uh, Yeah, ghosts. Yeah, so that already sums that up. And with Atlanta, I mean, Pat, who is Atlanta? What is Atlanta? Atlanta is just a mess mm-hmm. right now. Have been since, well, a certain Super Bowl. Yeah, I mean, according to ESPN.com, their starting quarterback is Desmond Ritter. Right, because they they're letting Mariota go because he was going to be making too much money. Right, so they're rebuilding. Yeah. Tampa Bay is rebuilding no matter who wants to try downplaying that. And, and I don't think they've got it. They're going to have to go through the draft. It's going to be ugly for Tampa Bay this year and we're about to see who's the real Tampa Bay fans who just jumped on the bandwagon for Brady. Oh, my God, yeah. Because it's going to get real ugly for Tampa Bay because without looking at like a bunch of information, I don't know if they have enough draft picks to go and get a veteran quarterback, say like a Jimmy G mm-hmm. or something like that, to to bring them in. You know, so they might have to be – they might be stuck with Desmond Ritter or get somebody through the draft. Well, you know, Leonard Fournette is gone. That's true, too. And he's going to be a very sought-after free agent. Yeah. I know that they're making more cuts as they go. So, I mean, yeah. Tam- Tampa – but here's the thing with Tampa. Tampa knew they had a win when they had Brady. They had a real and, short window. And you know what? They capitalized. They got a chip the one year. Listen, that's a win. 
Yeah. <laughs> like, that's the whole purpose of bringing him in. It paid off. So yeah. I, I don't feel bad for them one bit. But bringing in Derek Carr to New Orleans, that's a huge win for them. Yeah. You're going to win the division. Yeah. Arguably. But I mean, by default, unless some crazy move happens between now and the start of the season. Yeah. But after that, you you still have to go through the NFC East. Yeah. Whoever is going to be the teams out of there. And I did say that plurally. Yeah. You do have an NFC North that, as of now, you still have Aaron Rodgers. You have a Detroit Lions team on the rise. Mm-hmm. Minnesota, flip a coin. That's the team you're going to get in the playoffs. Yeah. And Chicago, uh, you know. You never know who's going to show up. Th- they could be a sleeper team yeah. pending moves. Yeah. I will say that right now. But then you still have the NFC West. Right. Which is still the NFC West. Right. So this is not a guarantee that you're going to get any further than a playoff trip. But if you're focused on just winning the division and seeing what you have, Carr makes a lot of sense. I didn't think he would go there because I think he would have been a better fit somewhere else. Mm -hmm. But if he wants to go here, rebuild under the radar, there's not going to be a lot of media presence on him in New Orleans and compared to some other teams he can go to. No, there's not. This would make a lot of sense. So I don't really fault the move. I'm just surprised at it. I, I don't fault him either. You know, I think they might have overpaid a little bit, but I think this is New Orleans going, all right, listen, we want to get our guy locked down. They got him locked down super early mm-hmm. so they can game plan. They can figure out what plays work for him, what plays don't. And they can even go through the draft and go, all right, hey, we know what his tool set is. We know what works for him and what doesn't work. Why don't we, if we don't have those pieces already here in our in our team, why don't we look for those pieces through the draft and improve this team? Exactly. So, <laughs> Smart move for New Orleans, but that really set a lot of other teams' plans and motions, mm-hmm. whether they wanted to or not. Yeah. Because arguably today, the biggest name to be franchised is the one to really watch if they're staying put. Mm-hmm. And, Pat, who is that? Lamar Jackson, the franchise quarterback of the Baltimore Ravens. As we alluded to, Lamar did not sign a new contract last season. He bet on himself to play, and he was playing like an MVP-type quarterback. So, due to injuries, it didn't happen. But he's now in a position where Baltimore had to make a decision. They did. It's a costly one. It could be. But it's going to go one of two ways. Either Baltimore has got another year to try making a deal happen, or they're going to flip Lamar Jackson somewhere Mm -hmm. and get a lot back for him. Well, they may not even have a choice. Uh, reading from an article on ESPN.com, courtesy of Jameson Hensley, uh, it says, quote, to the Baltimore Ravens placed the franchise tag on quarterback Lamar Jackson on Tuesday, taking the NFL's top potential free agent off the market. The Ravens made the long-expected move official by using the tag just before Tuesday's 4 p.m. Eastern deadline. Baltimore Jackson, who doesn't have an agent and is representing himself, have been unable to reach a long-term deal since he became eligible for a contract extension over two years ago. Sources told ESPN last year that Jackson wants a fully guaranteed deal like the one given to Deshaun Watson last year by the Cleveland Browns. Baltimore is against doing so because the team considers the Watson deal an outlier. The Ravens used the non-exclusive tag on Jackson. With the Ravens using the non-exclusive tag, Jackson can engage in contract talks with other teams. If Jackson signs an offer sheet with another team, Baltimore has the right to match the offer to keep him or take two first-round picks as compensation. 
The non-exclusive tag, which will pay Jackson $32 million this season, is less expensive than the exclusive one, projected at $45 million, which would have allowed the Ravens to control his rights this year. It isn't clear which teams might be interested in talking with Jackson, but the Atlanta Falcons won't be pursuing him, sources told ESPN's Diana Russini. It's also possible that he could remain with the Ravens. Quote, there have been many instances across the league and in Baltimore when a player has been designated with the franchise tag and signed a long-term deal the same year. We will continue to negotiate in good faith with Lamar, and we are hopeful that we can strike a long-term deal that is fair to both Lamar and the Ravens. General Manager Eric DaCosta said in a statement, Our goal, ultimate goal is to build a championship team with Lamar Jackson, leading the way for many years to come, close quote. Well, they had to do what they had to do. I don't fault Baltimore one mm-hmm. bit for franchising him. The question is, can you get a deal done with him now? Right. And it's not to say that he's screaming he wants to leave. Mm-hmm. He just wants to get paid. Yeah. And you know what? I can't be mad at him. No, I can't either. He's literally been, no pun intended with this, he's been the franchise guy for a while now. Yeah. He is an elite quarterback. He has definitely stepped up and been a force to really put a team on his back and get them to the playoffs when he's had to. Mm-hmm. And he's literally been somebody that left it all on the field. I don't really fault him for not coming back after the injuries this past year because he understood the temp in the room. Yeah. And plus, Baltimore was not going to make a deep run. Yeah. He understood it. Yeah. So now the question is, what do you do if you're Baltimore? I think the only thing you can do is try reworking a deal. Mm-hmm. How far off were you with the money? That's the situation. I think it has to be a substantial amount just because it's gotten to this point. And I want to include this uh, from Field Yates, who was an NFL insider for ESPN. Uh, he tweeted out, quote, teams that, have, that reportedly will not be pursuing a deal for Lamar Jackson include the Atlanta Falcons, the Miami Dolphins, the Carolina Panthers, the Washington Commanders, and the Las Vegas Raiders. Uh, I, I think they must have gotten been real far off on this because it's gotten to this point because this almost, to me, feels like it's it's Baltimore looking to Lamar going, all right, you want that guaranteed money? Go out and try and find it mm-hmm. and see if somebody's going to give you that kind of money. And if you find it, we'll match it. But I think Baltimore is hedging their bets that he's not going to be able to find that kind of money and find a team that is willing to give him that Deshaun Watson neighborhood of fully, fully guaranteed 200 plus 250 plus, whatever the hell it was million dollars guaranteed. And they're like, all right, they they're hedging their bets. And maybe they've had some backroom conversations or some late night text messages with other GMs, you know, going, Oh, there's no way in hell we'd give them that money. You know? So I, I think this is Baltimore hedging their bets and going, yeah, go ahead, try and find this money. We know you won't. And we know you'll be back here. But that also, at the end of the day, could come back to bite him in the ass because if I'm the GM of an NFL team that desperately needs a quarterback and that can really set my franchise up for the next 5, 10, 15 years, however long it is, Lamar Jackson's fortunate enough to play, you better goddamn guarantee I'm going to try and find that money to bring him in. Well, he's a game changer. That's why. If you're on the cusp of going to the playoffs, you have to try at least making a deal. Not saying you're going to be that successful mm-hmm. because Lamar is going to be a very high asking price. But if you're a team like the Raiders, mm-hmm. and I don't care what they just said on the report, they have to be in the consideration for him. Sure. You have to think a team like the Giants mm-hmm. would have to take a look at him. 
you have to think a team the e- Jets. even as the Jets who are re- rebuilding but if you get Lamar Jackson there he can cover up a lot of holes that your offense has at this moment but you have a, a rookie running back they'll be bouncing back in Brees Hall your wide receiver core needs work yeah but he also did not have the greatest wide receiver core in Baltimore. Mm-hmm. He needed a, a great tight end to balance him out, which it did. Mm-hmm. But he'd almost be walking into an identical scenario if he goes to the Jets. Right. Then who else is out there that's on the cusp? That becomes the ultimate question. If another quarterback in the NFC North moves... Mm-hmm. Would it make sense to bring him there? Well, I mean, I'm just looking at the standings. So AFC East, I think we can rule out pretty much all of these teams except for the Jets. You know, I don't, yeah. see, I don't see the Patriots, Dolphins, or Bills going after him. No, nor the AFC North. Since we can rule out Cincinnati and Cleveland because Burrow and Watson. Yeah, even though I did hear Watson is talking about restructuring his contract. Sure, uh, Pittsburgh maybe, but I, I, there's no chance in hell that if he signs a deal with Pittsburgh. The Ravens aren't going to match it no matter what. The wildest thing is Pittsburgh could be the ultimate dark horse. It could be. They could be. Could be. Uh, you go to the AFC South, Jacksonville, probably not. Tennessee, maybe. You know, I've heard some rumors and I've heard some rumblings that uh, Ryan Tannehill, because of the amount of money he's going to get paid, is going to get cut before the start of the new season. So Tennessee could be looking for a new starting quarterback. Yeah, but they're also talking about cutting De- Derrick Henry. Yeah, that's true. So or, or, or entertaining trade offers, I sure. should say. Uh, Indianapolis, well, Christ, yes, they need a quarterback. They need a lot. Houston Texans, yes, you can't rule that out. Uh, Look at the AFC West. I think you can, even though, like you said, even though the Raiders were mentioned in Field Yates Report as not being interested, there's no chance they they don't entertain that offer. You have to. Uh, Everybody else in that division, the Chiefs, Chargers, and Broncos, no. Let's ride. Uh, The NFC East, I think you can rule out pretty much this entire division. Although, listen, again, I know the the Commanders were in that list. I think they're they're just blowing smoke to hide their intentions. Well, But but the Eagles, Cowboys, and Giants, no. Yeah, well, the, the commanders are in a weird position because you could do a lot, but I think until the situation with Dan Snyder is resolved, mm-hmm. who wants to go there? Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, because if there's that much uncertainty in the front office, you can't feel comfortable there. Mm-hmm. That's going to be the biggest challenge that they're going to face this offseason. Win, lose, or draw. Until that situation is done, mm-hmm. if I'm a free agent, I'm not going there until everything is settled. Yeah. Then I'll see what they got. NFC North, you got the Vikings, which probably not. Detroit, probably not. Green Bay, well, wait and see. Yeah. You never know. Uh, and the Chicago Bears, probably not. But if you tell if if I'm the GM of, of Chicago and I got a chance to get Lamar Jackson, I'm, I'm certainly going to fucking try it. You would consider it, but I will say this. I think the Bears are in a really interesting spot because Justin Fields played out of his mind. This is true. So I don't think you can, with good conscience, try doing a move and getting rid of him. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, you could say last year was, you know, a fluke, I guess. Maybe. But at the same time, he showed me something that I think you have to give him an, at least another year and see. Because mm-hmm. obviously the Bears are going to have a lot of draft picks this year. Yeah, they are. They can do a lot of rebuilding quick. It yeah. just depends on how everything pans out. Yeah. Fields is a big part of that. So a big part of that. Uh, NFC South, obviously, if you're not the New Orleans Saints, uh, you're certainly going to be interested. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the NFC West, San Francisco, no. 
uh, Seattle. Uh, San Francisco's maybe. Well, San Francisco does need like six quarterbacks on their starting roster for game day. Yeah. Uh, Seattle Seahawks probably not. They just re-signed uh, Jimmy uh, Geno, Geno. Geno Smith to a, like a three-year, hundred million dollar deal. Uh, the Los Angeles Rams. Yeah. Depending on how Stafford comes out, maybe. You know, if, if they stick with Baker, you know, mm. maybe. Uh, and then the Arizona Cardinals. Well, depends on if they can get Kyler Murray off Call of Duty. Yeah. It's an interesting scenario set up here. I mean, you have to think the Jets would be the odds-on favorite. Mm-hmm. Washington is a maybe. God help the two of us if he goes to the Jets. Oh, I don't, I, yeah, I don't want to even think about that. I want to have good thoughts. The Raiders, though, are probably the most logical landing spot, mm-hmm. no matter what anybody wants to say. They're ready to win now. Mm-hmm. Rumor has it Josh Jacobs is going to get their franchise tag. That's what I heard. So you have a highly potential offense if the right quarterback is there. Mm-hmm. Lamar would fit that bill. I'm going to say, just to be different, because I do agree, the Raiders, I think, are a possibility. I'm going to say Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay is another dark horse. Just because Tampa Bay's all of a sudden got a lot of money to work with, seeing as there's some dude named Tom Brady not playing for him. Right. They got a void at quarterback. You still got Evans and Godwin. You're losing Fournette, but like if you add Lamar Jackson, okay, there's your de facto running back. Right. For all you just you just pick up a guy because hey, Lamar can't carry the ball 35, 40 times a game, whatever it is. Right, right, right. You know, so I'm I'm gonna say if it's not the Raiders, Tampa Bay. It could be. Like I say, they're a team that I think is flying under a lot of radars right now. So it it definitely is in the conversation. Mm-hmm. It just depends on how much cap space they have and how many draft picks they have to give up. Because mm-hmm. I think you're looking at at least two number one picks. Right. At least. Right. So could a team just say all go all in about it? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. But who's going to be the ones to do it? The Jets, I mean, are a maybe. But the Jets have so many questions at that position. Plus, they, they're they overhauling their like entire offensive scheme. Right. Because if I read right, they fired their offensive coordinator in the offseason. Yeah, they're going to be a whole new team in this offseason. It just depends on who's going to be leading that charge. Mm-hmm. It could be Lamar Jackson. But in, I think at the end of the day, it's great to fantasy quarterback this. Mm-hmm. but Or fantasy GM. But sure. He's staying in Baltimore. So just a couple more key information, important facts. Uh, this mo- this is the first time in seven years that we've had a quarterback get the non-exclusive tag. Uh, the last quarterback to receive it, 2016 with Kirk Cousins. Uh, also, Jackson is the third quarterback to win the NFL MVP and then receive the franchise tag. He's joined Steve Young, who got it in 1993, Peyton Manning, who got it in 2004 and 2011, and then also, uh, or no, yeah, so that makes them three. Uh, and then also, uh, reading from the ESPN article, quote, now, under the franchise tag, the Ravens and Jackson have until July 17th to work out a long-term deal. If an agreement is not reached by that NFL-mandated date, a new deal cannot be signed until after the season. Mm. Baltimore has reached multi-year deals with five of the seven players who have previously been franchise tagged by the team, close quote. It's like I say, it's an interesting scenario. It's a game of uh, it's a game of chess, and well, somebody's got to blink. Mm-hmm. And I think it would be Baltimore at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. I think they realize what they have with him, and he is their franchise guy. I mean, yeah, he is in that conversation with the Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, 
He's there because of his athletic ability. They're playing a game of chicken, and ultimately I think it's going to cost him a fair chunk of change. Well, you know what? He bet on himself, so I can't fault Lamar for yeah. holding out and waiting to get the best deal he can. I think Baltimore ultimately does cave in, though. I, I don't see him leaving. I just I can't see him with the Jets, not because I'm a Bills fan, but I just can't see him going there, which is basically a lateral move. The only way I see him leaving... And, and Baltimore doesn't even attempt to resign, is if he somehow manages to find a team that gives him the Deshaun Watson deal. Yeah, but... Any other dollar amount that's not f- all fully guaranteed, Baltimore will match it. But if it's somewhere, even in the neighborhood of that Deshaun Watson deal, and it's all fully guaranteed, Baltimore's going to look at that and go, yo, fuck that. Exactly. And, but he was not the only other quarterback that has been rumored about the Jets. Mm-hmm. Because, Pad, who else has been rumored uh that dude up north who according to Stephen a smith is a bad man aaron Rodgers. yeah there's a lot going on with green bay that was waiting on the moves of lamar jackson and Mm -hmm. Derek carr Mm -hmm. because the rumors and i stress rumors is aaron Rodgers is done with green bay Mm -hmm. and then you have to move one of the most legendary quarterbacks in all football yeah to a new team yeah and the Jets allegedly are adamant about getting him. Yeah. So, Pat, let me ask you this. If you're Green Bay's GM, what's the move? I mean, if the parts are right and what you get back is is what you like, sure. I'm not I'm not parting with, you know, Rodgers, who is, you know, however many times. He's a four-time MVP, you know, two of those back-to-back. You know, I'm not trading him for cents on the dollar. Mm-hmm. You know, it is going to fucking cost you. Yeah. And if I'm the Jets and I'm serious about this, because let's face it, you've taken now two quarterbacks in the last decade, five, or maybe even five years, whatever it is, mm. in Zach Wilson and Sam Darnold. Yep. In the top five, you know, one was to, one was taken at the number three overall pick, then the other one was taken at the number two overall pick, and they've both been busts yeah in in like the worst way possible not named ryan lee for jamarcus russell you know so i think you have to give this a legitimate cho- shot and you know what you might have to hedge the farm on this and and, and break open the piggy bank and, and trade away a bunch of draft picks and and to do it you know now could this come back to bite you in the ass yeah aaron Rodgers ain't getting any younger and you know he might have only a couple of years left, but if if you think this is your shot to win the division and make a deep run in the playoffs and and God get to the Super Bowl, which I don't see happening, no, you know you gotta try it. I think the Jets have to try anything at this stage because I think that fan base is so disgusted with them. Oh yeah, that any quarterback that is serviceable is in discussion and is in play. I know the Jets have met with Aaron Rodgers, but that doesn't mean a lot. Rodgers, I think, is going to meet with as many teams as he can mm-hmm. that he feels could offer him an opportunity to get somewhere at this stage of his career. Mm-hmm. I think the situation, we've talked about this at length on past episodes, has become so toxic in Green Bay. Yeah. He has to go. Oh, yeah. I never thought I would say this, but here we are. He's just a different cat. He is, and I think now, at least over the past couple of years, it seems like he's getting more different. Ever ever since the last couple of years with McCarthy, it's just kind of gotten real odd. Yeah. You know, where it's not even like a disgruntled player, and it's just like just everything about it has gotten weird. It's just gotten so 
uncomfortable. Yeah. That now Green Bay has to try moving him. Like when you have a player who gets the play call in from the coach or the offensive coordinator, whoever's calling the plays in, and he essentially goes, eh, yeah, fuck that. I'm going to do whatever I want. Like I realize we all do it when we play Madden. If like you get the ask Madden or the Madden pick sure. pops up and we go, and it's like the fourth run play in a row. And you're like, you know what? I think the defense is going to see this coming. Why don't I run a pass uh, play action? You know, but when you get to that point where it's like he was actively not running the plays that they were calling into him, mm-hmm. you, it's really going to derail some stuff. It's definitely going to derail, and that's something that I think teams that are looking at him have to consider. Mm-hmm. Aaron Rodgers has a very big ego. Not one that uh, has not been earned, though, I will say. Being a multi-MVP, he has been the guy that has literally carried Green Bay into the playoffs and deep runs Constantly, you say he's just shy of sixty thousand yards passing for his career. He has four hundred and seventy-five touchdowns to one hundred and five interceptions, and has a passer rating of one hundred and three point six. Yeah, stats speak for themselves. Yes, uh, although, like I said, age thing gonna be a concern because he tur- he is thirty-nine years old. He turns forty in December, uh, so not got probably can, probably not got many more years ahead of him. No, and that's why I think he needs to go to a team that's going to win now. Yeah, and and the Jets ain't it. That's why I just don't see him going to the Jets for that reason. I'm sorry. No. The Jets are getting better, but I don't think that for the time that he has left in this league, because let's face it, once you hit around 40, especially as a quarterback, Uh father time catches everybody. Finally caught Brady this year. Yes, it did. Rodgers is next. I think he has to go to a situation where that team is ready to win now, mm-hmm. and he is going to want to finish his career very strong, and I think there's only one team there that can offer him, and that's the Raiders. Yeah. I think the nonsense of him going to San Francisco is just that. I just can't see them doing a deal inner division. I could see him trying. doesn't mean the Jets are – or not the Jets. The Packers are going to accept it. Right, because I think the Packers are going to want to move him to the AFC. Probably. Or I should say conference, not division. Send him to New England. Well, that's the whole thing. I think he could wind up in a situation like that, but I think he's going to ultimately say, listen, if you're going to trade me and I have any say in this, you're going to send me to the Raiders. Right. Because he could go there. He is the missing piece of that puzzle. Him and Devontae Adams already have the chemistry there. That's true. I And especially for how disgruntled Devontae Adams is over Derek Carr's release. <laughs> and understandably so. Yeah. I think that this would probably be a win-win for all parties involved, and I think it makes a lot of sense to do. Well, saying if you're not able to get uh, Aaron Rodgers, I do recommend Jimmy Garoppolo. Not because he's a former Patriot, but hey, listen, Belichick wanted him. A bunch of other head coaches wanted him, and he's only 31 years old. Turns 32 in November. No, I think I think he's staying put in San Francisco. I think the Could fact be. that Brock Purdy's out the year. Could be. I think they definitely are not going to move him now. Had Purdy stayed healthy, sure, different story. Sure. So that being said, I think he stays put. But I think Rodgers is gone, and I think the only landing spot you can do is Vegas, maybe Tennessee, and we've talked about that in the past too. But if they're looking to get rid of Derrick Henry, that eliminates that deal. Yeah. And then would Green Bay trade him in conference? Hell no. They that's, wouldn't do it for Brett Favre. They're not going to do it for Aaron Rodgers. Exactly. That's the whole point. That's and, what, and if Aaron Rodgers, listen, I know we don't want it to happen, but if Aaron Rodgers somehow ends up following the career trajectory of Brett Favre, who he essentially chased out of Green Bay, and he gets sent to the Jets, holy shit, that'd be hysterical. Oh, it would be wild. And you know what? I think he would try getting back into the division and try to get back to either Detroit or Minnesota before it's all said and done. That'd be hysterical. 
I, you know what? He he is a man that lives on that kind of uh, motivation, shall we say? Yeah. Uh-huh. So it'll be interesting to see if he comes to the Big Apple. I don't see him doing it, but if so, he has to fight for headlines with the last franchise tag team that we have to talk about. Christ Almighty! And Pad, I'm just gonna let you take this one away. Uh, So reading from an article on ESPN.com, it says, quote, the New York Giants have agreed to a four-year, $160 million (laughs) deal with quarterback Daniel Jones, sources told ESPN, and have used their non-exclusive franchise tag on running back Saquon Barkley. The Giants made the moves just ahead of Tuesday's 4 p.m. Eastern deadline for NFL teams to use their franchise and transition tags. Jones will make $82 million guaranteed at signing as part of the deal which also includes up to $35 million in incentives, sources told ESPN's Jordan Renan. Barkley will make a hundred or excuse me, Barkley will make uh, $10.091 million in 2023 under the non-exclusive franchise tender. Giants general manager Joe uh, Scone had publicly stated that the team hoped to retain both players, which was made possible by the long-term deal for Jones. Jones, who turns 26 in May, is coming off the most efficient season of his career and led the Giants to a winning record for the first time since being drafted in the first round of uh, in 2019. He also played brilliantly in leading New York to a postseason victory over Minnesota, st- setting the stage for nearly two months of contract negotiations. Close quote. Uh, so just some stats, because that's a whole lot of fucking money. Mm-hmm. Uh, Daniel Jones, for his career... 11,603 yards uh, passing, average of 6.7 yards a pass, 60 touchdowns, 34 interceptions, longest is 75 yards, and he's got a passer rating of 86.5. I laughed at this because four years is way too much. I mean, it's uh, the years is understandable. The dollar amount, fuck no. Well, then the dollar amount, too. You have a quarterback here that really had a serviceable season. I know I'm going to hear this about this from Giants fans, but I don't care. This is my honest opinion. He was serviceable last year. Yeah, he, he was decent. He filled in the role. Was he enough to get over the hump? No. No. You beat Minnesota, who you really played close in the in the regular season. Yeah. And that's why I really thought you had a chance. So to give him that money, I understand they had to go get somebody in, and I think that they were waiting on Derek Carr, to be honest with you. Probably, yeah. The fact that he didn't show up. they I, I think they knew they had no shot at getting Aaron Rodgers. Yeah. You know, same they, with Lamar Jackson. Same with Lamar Jackson. And once Derek Carr left, they're like, well, fuck, now we're stuck. Yeah, no, they have to. I mean, they had the. it was almost like a poison pill, so to speak. Yeah. We hear about those contracts in the NBA all the time. I think this is one that you had in the NFL because yeah. you didn't want to go into this offseason – with the high upside, the Dabble and company are turning this team around, which they are. I will give them the benefit they of the doubt. They had a real good start to the season. You're right. But they also faded out near the end. They really had struggles going in that latter half of that season. Yeah. Say what you will, but Daniel Jones is going to still be Daniel Jones next year. Mm-hmm. You still don't have an offensive line around him. Nope. Until you get that fixed. And you ain't got nobody on the offensive side because, hey, oh, we technically got Saquon Barkley. Yeah, but you could lose Saquon Barkley here in in free agency because if somebody offers him more money than you're willing to pay him, all of a sudden you're out of running back. Yeah, and that's going to be a big, big problem for them. Even though Barkley had been rumored, and I do stress rumored, to be getting traded to Buffalo. That'd be wild. It would be wild. I don't think they're going to go for him. I think now 
the Bills are going to be looking at Fournette, to be honest with you. Probably. There's going to be a lot of teams looking at Fournette. Right, but I think Buffalo is going to be one of the more active teams to try getting him. Probably. But with Barkley, yeah, he might get moved, and then that's a whole different ball of wax that you can really play around with if you're the Giants front office. I just think the Daniel Jones deal is just really a tough spot to be in. He did play well for you last year, but what's your definition of well? I think he was serviceable. I wouldn't necessarily say he's a $100 million quarterback. Mm -hmm. And I think that they unfortunately had that realization that I think they were banking on Derek Carr way too much that they had no plan B. And they had to go to plan D as in Daniel Jones. I mean, so, hey, congratulations. You know, you got uh, your quarterback signed. But, again, you ain't got nobody to fucking – throw to yeah you know because for the people they have on their depth chart on espn.com you know isaiah hodges sterling shepherd david stills the fifth Jaden mickens darius slayton wandell robinson colin johnson makai polk richie james you know uh marcus john marcus johnson khalil pimpleton dre miller like none of these like i didn't even go through everybody but i just pulled up some of the folks like isaiah hodgins last year uh, 37 catches, 392 yards, four touchdowns. Yeah. Sterling Shepard, 13 catches, 154 yards, one touchdown. Darius Slayton, 46 catches, 724 yards, two touchdowns. Uh, Richie James, 57 catches, 569 yards, four touchdowns. Uh, Daniel Bellinger, 30 catches, 268 yards, two touchdowns. Like, congratulations, you got your quarterback who is average and serviceable, mm-hmm. but... Who the fuck have you got around him? Saquon can't handle carry the ball 50, 60 times. Yeah, they got to eye somebody in the draft. I don't know who, but they definitely need to get some work done there. But I guess, you know, to close this out, the Giants had to do what they had to do. And this is a situation with the franchise tag that really puts teams in a very interesting position. You can try letting a player go and hope you can rework a deal out. You can also sit there and franchise somebody as a safety blanket which is what I think the Giants did here. I don't think that Daniel Jones is a long-term answer for this no, team. No, God, no. I think they're going to eye somebody in the draft and have him sit by Jones. I don't mind the four-year deal thing just because, and you know my opinion of Mel Kuyper Jr., mm-hmm. but I heard Mel Kuyper Jr. the other day say, oh, this draft is one of the worst he's ever seen. Right. You know, and all this. And I've heard that the quarterback class coming out is nothing really stellar. So I don't fault him for the four years thing. The dollar amount, I just cannot agree with because if I heard the numbers right, and I'm not a math major by any stretch of the imagination, Daniel Jones is going to be making as much as Aaron Judge is. Yeah, no, Aaron, you're right. Aaron Judge, who broke a 60-year-old record that a lot of folks never thought would get broken, even with the steroid era. Mm-hmm. You know, broke, broke Roger Maris's single-season American League home run record. When the Yankees signed Aaron Judge for his contract, I went, no, that's worth it. That You need to keep him in New York. He's the, he's the captain, you know, and, and obviously he was the captain, became the captain after, but he was the de facto captain if you paid attention to what the writers said. Oh, of course. He, he was the de facto captain in all but actual title, you know, and just his, his output and everything else. I didn't bulk at the numbers the Yankees gave Aaron Judge. He's worth that money and more. Daniel Jones? Fuck no. Daniel Jones is not a $100 million quarterback. No. End of story. He's not. But he forced the hand of the Giants because the Giants had no plan B. That's the, that is the story of this. That is one of the biggest stories of Franchise Day. They had no plan B. There was no backup plan. They literally thought they were going to get somebody else, and the 
they realized as soon as Carr signed, they had no other options. So I went to Spotrack.com and I went to quarterback contracts, uh, and this is a real-time sortable list of active NFL contracts, including total value, guaranteed money, and complete salary breakdowns. Uh, so this is sorted by value. Number one, of course, you've got Patrick Mahomes, the 10-year, $450 million man. Mm-hmm. Number two, you've got Josh Allen. Yeah. Number three, Russell Wilson. Number four, Kyler Murray. Number five, Deshaun Watson. Uh, and then three folks tied for number six, uh, the first of which being Dak Prescott, uh, the next one being Matthew Stafford, and then Daniel Jones. Daniel Jones is currently ahead of Aaron Rodgers, Matthew Ryan, Derek Carr, uh, Jared Goff, Ryan Tannehill, Geno Smith, Trevor Lawrence, Joe Burrow, Zach Wilson, and Kirk Cousins, just to name a few. Yeah. So closing it out, who really won today, Pat? Nobody. Yeah. <laughs> no, the Saints. They have Derek Carr, so they at least have their quarterback locked in, and they can start working on the offense. I agree. with And, you. and praying Michael Thomas is healthy this year. You know what I'll, I will say? I think Lamar Jackson won today. Oh, that's true, too. Because he got a massive payday, whether he stays with Baltimore or not, regardless. He got paid, and he's going to get a nice deal out of this. He's going to get that money. And he's earned it. He's earned every dime of it. I don't argue with his contract. I argue with Daniel Jones, though. And I agree with you. The money is not there. He's not a $100 million quarterback. I'm sorry. This is one of those situations that you're reading that money and you're going, four years, $98 million? I mean, I've heard that one before. Mm-hmm. But I, this is what makes Franchise Day so interesting to watch in the NFL. It usually flies under the radar. You have maybe one big name. Yeah. But this year, one name started a domino effect. And now going into free agency... Things are going to get more interesting because teams that didn't get their quarterback today are going to have to make some moves tomorrow for a future that is very, very uncertain. That said, hit us up on the hashtag, hashtag ODPHpod. What is your thoughts about NFL Franchise Tag Day? How did your team do? There's a lot in the NFL. Like I said, we only talked about the big names, but we want to hear about how your teams did. So hit us up. Let us know. Let us know what you thought about Lamar Jackson and Daniel Jones and Aaron Rodgers and the situations going on there. Football is back. Let's discuss. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hi, everybody. This is Anthony from They Called Us a Movie, inviting you to join us on a journey through the B-movies, bargain bins, and box office disasters of movie history. Each week, we put a movie under the microscope to try to figure out what went wrong, what went right, and what went somewhere in between. Check us out wherever you get your podcast by searching They Call This a Movie and find us on Twitter and Instagram at TicTampod. That's T-C-T-A-M-Pod. They Call This a Movie, testing the strength of friendships, one terrible movie at a time. Coming back for another segment on this edition of the ODPH Sports Edition, and we have to recap an exciting night of fights. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. I was very happy the UFC put on a show and some fighters really showed out. And one in particular reclaimed a spotlight that we weren't sure how it was going to play out in his favor. Mm-hmm. And this was the events unfolding at UFC 285, live from the T-Mobile Arena in Las Vegas. Pad, let us discuss this card. Yeah, so we're going to go right through the main card. Uh, and the first fight was in the middleweight division where you had Bo uh, Nicole defeat Jamie Pickett in uh, 2 minutes and 54 seconds of the first round via arm triangle choke submission. Okay, so the one thing with this fight that I thought flew under the radar mm-hmm. 
is early in this fight, and I'm saying within the first 30 seconds. Okay. You had a questionable low blow. Okay. That Pickett was hit with, and he looked at the referee. Okay. And he kind of gave the face like, oh, like, like hmm. I got hit, and they did not wave it off. Hmm. So that said, how long was this fight again, Pat? Uh, two minutes and 54 seconds of the first round. When that happened, Nickel went completely crazy with his takedown in wrestling. I will say this. I was super impressed with what I saw of him because I've seen some highlights, but I haven't seen like the full package. Right. I thought his wrestling was very dominant. Obviously, we know that that's his strong suit. Obviously, with his pedigree from uh, Penn State, he's with American Top Team. So this is going to be a fighter that we definitely want to watch. And he dominated uh, Pickett after that uh, questionable shot, mm-hmm. which I don't. Which I will say this: Pickett did not react like something bad happened at the end of the fight. Like he was pissed that he didn't get the call. Right. He just was outclassed by a better wrestler. Mm-hmm. And. I guess the easiest comparison I have to Bo Nickel right now, in a weird sense, is a more athletic Ben Askren. Oh, okay. Like, I didn't see anything on his stand-up that looked outstanding. I just saw a guy that knew how to do wrestling and knew how to do submissions very slick. Right. And that's what you saw here. I did see, though, when he got on the ground, there was a couple times that he could have gone for a better arm triangle. Mm. And he was kind of trying to strong arm it. And if you're not sure what I mean by that, how you do it is basically you have a side headlock mm-hmm. on your opponent with an arm pin. Mm-hmm. And usually what you should do for technique is you slide your body over so it's completely off of said opponent. Okay. He kept his left leg in between picket. Interesting. So, like, it was a weird setup that he was just really trying to muscle it instead of using the leverage, which is the proper technique to do mm-hmm. to pull off the sub. He finally did it, and obviously things happened, but it was very odd, and this shows the inexperience that uh, Nickel has, right? that he didn't pick up on that. Because I'm sitting there watching with the watch party we had here for 6 or 7 Podcast, and I'm going, this is bad tech. Like It's not bad technique, but you can definitely tell he's new. And Rich from 3FN agreed, Dog agreed. Like, everybody in the house was talking about this, too. He was impressive in his win. Mm-hmm. But he could have been a lot cleaner. And this shows that for all the trash talk that he's been doing, and, and rightfully so. Guy's been on a roll since he's been involved with the UFC. Right. But I don't exactly say he's ready for prime time as much as he wants to think he is. I'll say uh, clearly didn't make that much of an impact because looking at the rankings on UFC.com slash rankings, uh, not in the top 15 of the uh, middleweight rankings there. Yeah. And I think that he's still he's a fight or two away from getting a top 15 guy. Sure. But I will say this. He's with a great camp. The minute I saw Mike Brown in his corner, I'm like, okay. He give him time to work with him. Right. He's going to be a real, he's going to be something special. Like I know we always say when the UFC gets off, uh, one their hype trains rolling. Yeah. 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 It doesn't pan out. He's in a great camp to learn from. And he just has to get into that. So that said, 
I hope he kind of tones down on his trash talk a little bit and focuses on learning all elements of MMA. Mm. And then Nickel is going to be a superstar, guaranteed. Next up. Uh, it was in the lightweight <coughs> division where you had uh, Maitz Gamron defeat uh, Jalen Turner via split decision, uh, 29-28, 28-29, and 30-27. Very solid fight. Uh, Gamron, I thought, really stepped up for this. Okay. And, and I thought Turner gave him all he could handle for it. I thought that uh, Turner really could have used more of his submission style sure, to really do some damage. But at the end of the day, I thought the right fighter won. I wasn't super shocked at how things played out. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was one of those situations that watching it, it could have gone either way. And that's the easiest way you could say. Because I thought that both of them being in uh, highly ranked in the lightweight division, mm-hmm. anything could have really happened. Turner, I think, though, was relying too much on his his uh, reach advantage and just really kind of let Gamrot steal a couple there. But still, great fight, though. Nevertheless, Gamrot is going to be moving up in that division. I don't know necessarily who he's going to be facing next. Mm-hmm. That's the only uh, situation there because that division is so damn deep. Yeah. Anything is possible for an opponent there. So I don't know where he goes from here, but he's definitely moving up maybe in the top five uh predicament right uh next up was actually a, <coughs> ended up being a catchweight bout fight at 175 pounds where shavkat uh rachmanov defeated jeff neal via rear naked choke submission at four minutes and 17 seconds of the third round and the reason this was a catchweight fight uh was because neal weighed in at 175 pounds and four that was four pounds over the welterweight non-title fight limit as a result uh neal was fined 30 percent of his purse which went to rachmanov well, that would make a lot more sense. I didn't realize that that did happen yep. watching because Neil and uh, Shavkat did not look great. For their fight, it looked like both were struggling to put a finish on this. And I know Shavkat finally got the win here. Mm-hmm. But I didn't go away from this going he looked amazing. I thought that... There were times he could have really finished this and just didn't for whatever reason. There's two fights that I thought really exemplified this. Sure. Their fight and the Duplessis one from the prelims. Okay. I thought that in both of those fights, you had chances to finish and you looked gassed and you did not impress. Mm. And I I guess I was saying with Duplessis, and I know we're not talking about this because it was on the prelims. There was some issue with his nose was, like, broken beforehand or something in that variation. It was a weird thing going on there. But I know Derek Brunson looked absolutely awful. And Duplessis had that kind of same vibe going on, too. Like, they just looked gassed after midway in the first round. Second rounds wasn't even anything worthwhile. But I'm just using this as a comparison because I had the same kind of vibe watching Neil and Shavkat fight because... I'm literally watching him, and I'm going, I'm not impressed by this performance in the words of GSP. I thought, even though Shavkat did get the submission, it still wasn't anything that I said, okay, man, this guy is going to be a a beast. He's going to be a contender. I really said this felt like more hype than anything. Sure. That's just my opinion on this. So, obviously, it's a huge win for him. Where does he go now? If you take a look at the welterweight division rankings, I mean, 
we have to kind of take into consideration. Yeah, because uh, those rankings have actually been updated, and uh, Shavkat is jumped up three positions to the number six spot. So ahead of him are Gilbert Burns, Bilal Muhammad, uh, Hamzat Chimaev, and then Colby Covington. And the number one contender is Kamaru Usman. And, of course, the welterweight champion is Leon Edwards. Who's right below him? Oh, that is Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. Who has been, interestingly enough, training with a certain Irish fighter of delight these days. Uh, Mr. Uh, Roadhouse? Yeah, uh, no. Uh, well, maybe. Uh, Conor McGregor. Yeah. Conor. Um, yeah, because there's a fun fact we'll get into it when we wrap up this segment. Thompson is the guy, I think, that would make a lot more sense with Shavkat. I know he made the jump in the rankings, but like I said, he doesn't scream top five to me. Not at this moment. I'm sorry. Mm. I sat there and watched this fight, and I was like, you're winning, but this isn't saying... Not like a, sexy. No, it's it's not. It, it wasn't anything that... When you have a dominant win, I can like, yeah, you can handle a jump up in competition. Right. I sat there watching this, and I was like, I, I just don't fight. I just don't see it. I just, I'm like, he needs another great competition to really push that over the limit. Mm-hmm. I think Thompson would make a lot of sense in this situation. Mm-hmm. So after this, if he gets a top five guy, if he, if he beats Tom Thompson, sure. Defiantly, then yeah, I got no problem with this, but this fight, like I said, with Neil and Neil did not look great in this. And Neil is usually a better fighter. So I'm going to say, uh, chef has got some work to do. If he wants to get the, uh, full approval of yours truly for this one. <laughs> Next up though, Mm-hmm. was arguably the biggest upset of the night. Probably. And one that, man, I got some feelings about, so let's get into it. Yeah, so this was in the women's flyweight division for the UFC Women's Flyweight Championship, and you had Alexa Grasso defeat Valentina Shevchenko via face crank submission at 4 minutes and 34 seconds to become your and new UFC flyweight uh, women's champion. I will say this. I know last week I said Shevchenko was going to run right through Grasso. I ate my words. <laughs> we both do. Yeah. because But I will say this. Shevchenko had opportunities. Sure. And did not capitalize. Like I say, I was sitting here talking with Rich from 3FN about this, and we both said there was moments in this fight Shevchenko should have taken over and won. When you are a champion and on the fight win streak that she was on, mm-hmm. at that division... You know how to close a fight. Why it didn't happen, I don't know. But for some reason, that did not happen with her in this fight. Sure. I'm not going to say it was she took her too lightly because I don't feel she did. Sure. But Grasso did not look great in those early rounds. Something happened with the Talia Santos fight mm-hmm. because you look prior to that where she beat, and, the, and she being Shevchenko, she beat Lauren Murphy via TKO, elbows and punches, four minutes of the fourth round. Okay. Mm-hmm. Before that was Jessica Andrade, which was a TKO, elbows at three minutes and 19 seconds of the second round. Okay. Then you got Jennifer Maya, unanimous decision when Caitlin Chukagan, TKO at one minute, three seconds of the first round. So, like, she's beating people. She's knocking people out. And then you get to the Talia Santos fight, which we mentioned last week was the split decision win. Mm-hmm. Something must have happened in that fight or in that camp or in between camps, and and she's scared. Because you're saying that, because I wasn't able to watch the fight, so I had prior engagement set. Right, right. You're saying to me she seemed you know a little bit shy of throwing a punch or something, that there were moments she could have done it, and she didn't. 
I can't help but wonder if something happened in that Talia fight or in the leading up to that fight or after that fight where it's got her rattled a little bit where she's like, you know, you got a, a uh, athlete who gets an injury mm-hmm. and all of a sudden they're doing things a little differently to kind of manage and play through that pain. But then you go back through and you're afraid of uh, uh, injuring that again. Like when I was a kid, I broke my foot playing kickball. Sure. You know, and, and I was afraid to play kickball after my foot healed. Yeah. You know, just because there's that fear in the back of your head until you do it again that you're going to break it again because, hey, you're in the same position you were before. You know, I'm not saying Shevchenko is sitting here injured because we haven't heard anything to, to say that. Mm-hmm. You know, but I'm wondering if there isn't something that happened that's got her affected where she's she's scared or she's a little shy about finishing fights. I think it's when you're tested and you can feel there's a shift in the division. Mm-hmm. And not saying that that fight was the catalyst for it in the sense, but I think it really brought some attention on that when you're a champion that dominant for so long, sure, you're going to have upstarts really start to figure you out. And I thought Grasso did a great job of weathering a storm. However... Shevchenko could have gone for a couple finishes and sure. didn't. And I don't know if she got too nervous, which is weird to say because Shevchenko has been the goat of the women's 125-pound division. Sure, and it's not like she's injured. I mean, I'm looking at the dates of her fights, no, and, she, and, they're, yeah. and they're fairly consistent. I mean, the longest layoff I can see here is back in uh, – she had a fight for another federation – uh, on February 26, 2014, her next fight wouldn't be for Legacy FC, which was almost a year to the day. Mm-hmm. You know, so 2014, 2015, that's like the longest layoff I can see. Oh, there's one. She had, you know, April 30th, 2011. Next fight was December 18th, 2013. So, like, I'm looking at the more recent stuff, and it's six months, seven months, whatever. It's fairly consistent. So it's not like she's injured. No, she's not injured, but I think that she was giving too much respect and, yeah, maybe. You know, like, but that's but that's something, and it's not a bad thing because I'm I'm saying Grasso earned this one. Yes. Don't don't take my words about this and thinking Grasso got this by a fluke. Grasso weathered a storm. I just think that this was more on Shevchenko, respecting her skill set, meaning Grasso, way too much to go for the finish. Mm-hmm. So Grasso took advantage of an opportunity in that fourth round. And we both said that, you know, we thought Grasso could hang with her. Yeah. We just didn't think she'd be able to pull it off. No, but I will say this, and this is why I say, like, for an exciting night of fights, I did not realize Grasso had a ground game like she demonstrated for this. Mm -hmm. Because this was one of the quickest transitions to take someone's back I have ever seen in all of MMA. Well, to her credit, according to her Wikipedia page, she is a purple belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Right, but she's known to to throw hands. Sure. Like, that's the thing. I have not seen too much of her ground game. No, she's only got two wins by submission, so. Yeah, because she just, she likes to throw bombs. Yeah. Like I said, that's, that's what she likes. She likes to throw those hammer fists. I don't, which is exciting to me. Like I say, I've always thought she's a great fighter, but I was very impressed that she took advantage of a mistake Shevchenko made and transitioned to that neck crank in lightning speed pad. Yeah. This was something Demetrius Johnson level. Mm. And I was sitting there going like, holy crap. She immediately got that back, got the hooks in. Like, Shevchenko had no idea what was going on. Mm -hmm. 
and immediately got that dub. Like I say, hats off to Grasso. Uh, what's next? An immediate rematch. I would imagine so. So this will be the real test of how Shevchenko bounces back. Grasso is going to give her all she can handle. Oh, God, yeah. And I think the big thing that she is playing with is house money. Right. Because there's the thing. Grasso was not expected to win this fight. No. She did, and and did it with an exclamation point. Yeah. And in a very, very exciting fight. Like I say, take nothing away from Shevchenko. Like I said, this was not as bad of a fight as Neil and, and Shavkat. This was a very, very entertaining fight. Mm-hmm. But Shevchenko just did not go for the finish, which is something that was weird. And I don't know if it was in her head or she was overthinking too much. Or, in, or like I say, I think she just respected Grasso's abilities way too much. Right. And it's like in the cage, if you got an opportunity to finish, finish. Well, hey, we got to give Grasso a little bit more credit because this was uh, Shevchenko's first professional loss by submission. Yeah. No, like I say, I could not be more impressed with how she pulled this off. Like, legitimately, this is one of the slickest submissions I have seen in quite some time. Yeah. Or I should say, transition to build it for a submission. Like, sure. You have to watch it. Like, it's fantastic. So, hats off to Grasso on this one. Yeah. But let's talk about the main event, though. Yeah, so the main event was in the heavyweight division for the vacant UFC heavyweight championship where you had John Bones Jones defeat Cyril Gan via guillotine choke submission at 2 minutes and 4 seconds of the first round. Okay. John, new to the uh, heavyweight division, not unfamiliar with the heavyweight division fight time. Real quick. He was, John was very smart about this, but I'm going to say Gon had John living rent-free in his head. Really? Oh, my God, Mm, yeah. Interesting. Because I didn't get that vibe off of, like, some of the videos and interview stuff I had seen before the fights. In my opinion, Gon sat there, and once the moment hit when he got to the cage, it clicked like... Oh, shit, I'm facing John Jones. Yeah. Right. And I think it was a situation that when you're at a... And I know this is going to sound kind of weird, but hear me out. Okay. When you're at a press conference... And you're facing off with somebody, yep. and it's street clothes. You're not in a cage. Yep. You, you know you're not going to hit them. They're not going to hit you. Well, you're not supposed to. Right, right. but if you do, you're going to get a big money fine. Diaz so. brothers would like to say otherwise. Okay, the Diaz brothers can do what the Diaz brothers <laughs> do. Stockton forever. When you're in a situation like that, and you're in a high-profile fight, it's not to say that he's never been in a high-profile fight before. Right, right. But... Every media outlet that covers combat sports yeah. was covering this fight. Oh, yeah. And this is one that we always say on the Entertainment Edition transcends to pop culture. Sure. That's what this one did. Mm-hmm. And I think that when the moment hit gone, it didn't hit at the press conference. It didn't hit at the weigh-ins. Right. But when you're in that cage, John's music kicks in. He's walking out. The place had one of the loudest pops in recent memory. Right. And John came in there focused and ready. Yeah. And it looked like Gon just realized, oh, shit, I'm now facing right. the greatest of all time. Right. What's going on? Like, it was. It had that feel sure, to it. Sure. Well, and I mean, two Gon's credit, discredit, whatever you want to say. I don't know if you can necessarily prepare for that because short of finding, you know, a heavyweight fighter 
who's retired or, or what have you, or a free agent or, or whatever mm-hmm. that you can bring in that you, that you tell God that like, Hey, we got you a sparring partner. You know, he's going to come in and work with you on Thursday, but just so like, we're, we're trying to prep you for the mystique of facing John Jones and, and all this other stuff. We're not going to tell you who it is. Yeah. You know, just to kind of keep that surprise, just so you kind of get that, like, just they're like, just know it's somebody big. It's somebody you're going to know instantly. They walk in the door and you're going to feel that feel. You're going to feel a similar feeling to facing John. Yeah. And then short of bringing somebody in like that unannounced and him going, oh, fuck, I'm all of a sudden going to have to spar against insert former heavyweight champion or former heavyweight fighter here. I don't know if you can train for that. No, you can't. And like I say, it was a weird situation to watch unfold. But he was almost called like a deer in headlights. Sure. And I and to John's credit, John was John of old. I got I I like I said wasn't able to watch the fight, but I did see a uh, photo afterwards that I of John in the octagon, and I kind of got that same vibe. Yeah. He, uh, photo I saw was with him, Chandler, Art, and his dad, mm-hmm. which I, to my recollection, we haven't seen that in a while. No, he was back to basics, John. It, it seemed like the John of old, where he's all about. You know, family and fights and wanting to win and be a champion and leaving all the other bullshit aside. He did because when he got in the cage, he weathered a little, a little uh, flurry. Sure, I guess an early, an early storm. And he did what we said we were, he was going to do. He took down Gon. Gon looked very uncomfortable on the ground. Sure. And then John did like almost a squatting guillotine. Oh yikes! Which. At the time, Rich, Dog, and I all were going, wait, did Gon really just tap? It didn't even look like John had him. Right. But the guillotine was squatting, and it looked like literally John had all his angle like tight. And when they showed the replay, his arm was completely underneath mm-hmm. the chin of Gon. And it, it like there was no way he was getting out of this one. Like It was... Right. It was it was a weird squatting guillotine, but it worked. Right. And Gon immediately tapped. John had a very, very humble press conference. Okay. Or uh, well, post, post-fight speech. Good to see. Yeah. He, he Like I say, it reminded you of like when John was not the uh, the villain. Sure. John. Sure. Um, which is what I want to see. Yeah, which I think a lot of fans were very excited to see. Uh, there wasn't a lot of, you know, trash talking came out. He was very thankful. He was very humble to come back. Sure. Miosic was in the crowd. I'll say allegedly Miosic has been promised the winner of this fight, which ended up being John. They immediately announced that. Oh. And what they said is International Fight Week, this is your main event. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So you they, think about it. Because John, yeah. John had no damage whatsoever. Oh, Christ. Two minutes in the first round. Of course not. Yeah. So he's got nothing. Probably could have fought later that night. Mm-hmm. So they said that, um, and he said, the UFC fans want this. I want this. I want to face the GOAT, and, I'm, and you know, let's do this. And he's like, I'm sorry to tell you right now, I'm going to kick your ass. <laughs> so, like, like okay. I said, he, he played it well. Like, a little he, fun. Yeah, a yeah. little, little fun. Yeah. Like, it was, it was not meant to be disrespectful. Well, it, was, it wasn't a fuck you, but it was like a hey. I'm no. Not, we're going to go in as competitors. No, and, and Miosic was down for it. He said, like, okay, let's do it. Let's do it. So they made that fight, and uh, John ended the uh, – Joe Rogan interview or a Cormier interview with a bah being the goat <laughs> as he walked off, oh, which oh Lord, that moment was great to cap off an exciting night of fights. Like I say, don't take 
too much into the critique of the two fights that gassed out. Sure. Bo Nickel looked great. Albeit, though, the nut kick that wasn't uh, given time to uh, recover, right? I think did play a big factor. Even though John was hit uh, with a low blow early, too, in his fight, we thought, like, oh, this is going to be a problem. Uh, I thought Grasso looked amazing, uh, weathering a storm and pulling off one of the slickest submissions ever. And I thought John Jones looked phenomenal, too, in his return. Like, he looked like the John of old. I'll say John now, the men's pound-for-pound number one one ranked fighter in UFC.com. See, I don't know if I would give him pound-for-pound yet. I I still – it's tough. It's tough. Jumped up a lot. I had to look close because I couldn't quite quite tell the number. Uh, Jumped up a whopping nine positions. Yeah. No, like I say, he – I would not necessarily do it. He looked great, though. Uh, The post-fight press conference, though, uh, had some very choice things to say about Francis Ngannou. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to repeat on here because it was uh, a little too strong for my liking. So they're uh, not safe for work. No. Uh, we might post the Instagram picture of the line that John said because it's blurred out. Yeah. Um, but let's just say this. Uh, he thinks that Francis is uh, very, very, very scared of him <laughs> and did not shy away from uh, making that very well known. Dana White kind of alluded to that he does not think – uh, Francis will ever be back in the UFC again. Well, never say never, but he did. Say, he did say never at one point, but he's like, ah, I know I never say never, but I, ne- I think we'll never see him back. And that kind of capped off the press conference. Not a lot of highlights there. I think more people were more focused on Conor McGregor and Jake Gyllenhaal in the yeah. house. Oh, really? Because Jake Gyllenhaal is filming the new Roadhouse remake. Yes. And he is a UFC fighter, I guess, oh, in this. Oh, okay. So, he, so that explains why I saw him shirtless at weigh-ins. Right. Okay. Yeah, they taped a little thing with him uh, for the film, and okay. you, you saw how his time in the cage went for oh, okay. the film. So I'm not really sure what it means overall, but okay. it was it was just a nice little moment. I like when they, I like when they do that. They did that for a couple of the Creed movies and Rocky movies. Yeah. So they yeah they did it again for uh, UFC. So like I said, yeah. it, it was a nice way to cap off UFC 285. A lot of headlines coming out of this, especially with the heavyweight division and the flyweight division. And do we have a star at welterweight? I mean, that's a question that we're going to have to really see with Boat Nickel moving forward. I think they're being smart, though. I, I did not hear him get one of the big names of that division just yet, mm-hmm. which is the way you should treat this. Because I think if you are going to try putting him in a situation like that, I think you're asking for problems. And I and I think that'd be too much too soon uh, for, you know, for him fighting at middleweight. Yeah, that you're just asking for problems there. But. Nevertheless, we got a lot to talk about with you, the ODPH Society. So hit us up on that hashtag, hashtag ODPH Pod. UFC 285, what did you think? And what do you think about John Jones' return moving forward? Let's talk about it. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. This is Tom from Tom Joe Lou. This is Matt from Sideman Sounds. And you're listening to ODPH Podcast. Wanna go where no one knows my name To the desert, the oceans, or the plains Cause I wanna go Coming back for the final segment on this edition of the ODPH Podcast. Pad, what you got? Got a couple things to talk about. Uh, first of which is obviously the local minute. And looking at the standings for the Federal Prospects Hockey League, that of course is the Hockey League, our local Binghamton Black Bears play in, and specifically the Empire Division, because... 
Well, that's the division they play in. Uh, said it before, I'll say it again. Danbury's still in first place with a record of 32 wins, six losses, uh, five losses in overtime or shootout. Uh, and then you've got Binghamton in second place with a record of 27 wins, 12 losses, and then four losses in overtime or shootout. Uh, and then looking at their schedule from this last week, they had three games, uh, the first of which was on March uh, 1st. Uh, against the Mississippi Seawolves that was on the road where they lost by the final score of 6-4. to four. Came back Friday on the road against the Columbus River Dragons where they lost by the final score of 3-2 to two in overtime. Uh, and then they came back sa- uh, Saturday against the Columbus River Dragons again and they won by the final score of 4-3 to three in overtime. Uh, looking ahead to their schedule, they have this upcoming week. They have uh, two games this weekend. Both are on the road. Uh, the first of which is Friday, March 10th at 7.35 p.m. Eastern. They're playing the Carolina Thunderbirds. And then Saturday, they're March 11th at 6.05 p.m. Eastern. They're playing the Carolina Thunderbirds again on the road. They do not return home until the following weekend, uh, Saturday, March 18th, uh, where they're playing the Elmira Mammoth. So for more tickets, information, and all that good stuff, Binghamton Black Bears. So, keeping the local minute rolling here, it is playoff time for those Binghamton Bulldogs. Already? Yes, the road to St. Louis is starting. Wow. So, according to their Facebook page, which I always recommend, go there first before you go to their website. I think they uh, they update that a lot quicker. They have posted the bracket for the Northeast region of the tournament. Mm -hmm. So, starting... Tonight, as we record through the March 9th, they're having play-in games. Okay. So they, the Bulldogs, will be hosting the winner of the play-in game between New Jersey and Bennington mm. on March 11th at the Binghamton Bulldogs Sporting Complex. So that said, if you're local in the 607 and you want to get tickets for it, They're only selling tickets online, Mm BinghamtonBulldogs.com, according to their Facebook page. Mm -hmm. Saturday night, 7.05, Binghamton Bulldogs Sport Complex. Uh, If you want to get the hottest ticket in town, you want to go hit them up immediately when you hear this podcast. And like I say, it's all on BinghamtonBulldogs.com or go to Facebook. It'll take you the link. You can get it hooked up right there. So the road to St. Louis is officially on March 11th. So good luck to the Bulldogs. I have to keep an eye an eye on what's going on with the team because yeah, we haven't heard a lot about them this season. To yeah. be honest with you, and they've had a phenomenal season. We're one of the few outlets that are covering them, in my opinion. I would say so. Yeah. So definitely, good luck to the guys. We do know that a few of them do listen to the show. So listen, bring home the chip. That's what we that's what we want this year. Don't come back empty-handed from St. Louis. <laughs> I'm telling you right now, bring home that chip, guys. Yeah. Good luck this season. Or good luck for the playoffs. Yeah. Uh, then we got to talk some footy, some uh, Premier League soccer, because I am a growing fan of the sport. I root for Liverpool, and I got to listen. I got to fucking talk this game because my watch was going off like crazy on Sunday because uh, in a matchup with Manchester United, the Liverpool's arch rival, the game went probably the way I didn't think it was going to go because I'll be honest. Uh, you look at the standings for the English Premier League, uh, Manchester United currently third place. Uh, with only Manchester City and Arsenal ahead of them. Meanwhile, Liverpool was in sixth place. Uh, they've jumped up a few places now. Uh, but you look at it, oh my God, it's, it's Manchester United, who you know at the time was 15 wins, three losses, 
or excuse me, 15 wins, four draws, five losses. Like, holy shit, like this is a tall order. Mm-hmm. Uh, Liverpool stepped up to the occasion, winning by the final score of seven to nothing. Jesus. Uh, one of Liverpool's biggest wins, you know, in terms of like a goal differential. Uh, the only bigger one I think I saw was like a game they had in like the 1800s. It was like seven to one or something crazy like that. Mm-hmm. And then this is the largest defeat in terms of like a goal differential for uh, Manchester United since like the 1930s. Or something crazy like this. I mean, you had uh, two goals from Cody Gakpo, two from Darwin Nunez, one, uh, two from Mohamed Salah. So you had three guys who were a goal away from a hat trick. Jeez. And then you had another one from Roberto uh, Firmino, you know, in the uh, 88th minute. So my watch was just going off like a met. Like I could, I was texting my girlfriend, Liz, like, I can't believe what's going on. Like, this is, ins- this is like a video game. This is utter insanity. Yeah, for soccer, yeah, you don't see scores like no, this. No, no, that was utter insanity, so a lot of fun. I highly recommend you checking out some footy, you know. Uh, English Premier League stuff is on USA or uh, Peacock, and then the Champions League stuff is usually on CBS or uh, Paramount+. Plus. Uh, usually on, uh, they're usually playing like two games a week lately just because of the World Cup that went on, so that kind of put everything back, so they've been playing two games. Highly recommend you check it out. It's a lot of fun. Uh, and then starting this week, if you're like me and you're missing some baseball, well, you're not going to have to wait too long because the World Baseball Classic does start this week. Let's go. Starts tonight, in fact. Uh, so looking at the standings, in case you're, you're not familiar who's in this, uh, so this works kind of the similar way that the uh, World Cup works. Uh, so you got all the countries are in pools uh, and then move on in similar ways. Uh, so in Pool A, you have Chinese Taipei, Cuba, Italy, the Netherlands, and Panama. Pool B, you have China, Japan, Korea, Australia, and the Czech Republic. Pool C, you have Mexico, Canada, the United States, Colombia, and Great Britain. And then in Pool D, you have Venezuela, Puerto Rico, Israel, the Dominican Republic, and Nicaragua. Uh, And then looking at the schedule just for the couple of days here. uh, So Tuesday, March 7th at 11 p.m. Eastern on Fox Sports 1, you have Cuba taking on the Netherlands. Wednesday, March 8th uh, at 6 a.m. on, uh, these are all Eastern times, by the way. Uh, at 6 a.m. Eastern on Fox Sports 2, you have Panama taking on Chinese Taipei. At 10 p.m. Eastern on Fox Sports 1, you have Australia taking on Korea. And then at 11 p.m. Eastern on Fox Sports 2, you have Panama taking on the Netherlands. Thursday, you have uh, March 9th, you have China taking on Japan at 5 a.m., which I'm not going to get up that early, but I'll check out the highlights. <laughs> Uh, then you've got uh, at 6 a.m. on Tubi. Yes, the streaming platform. Tubi. Tubi. Uh, you have Italy taking on Cuba. Uh, 10 p.m. on Tubi, you have the Czech Republic taking on China. And then at 11.30 p.m. Eastern on Fox Sports 1, you have Cuba taking on Panama. Uh, jumping ahead because you know you're sitting there going, hey, Pat, well, where is the United States in all this? Good question. Uh, the United States starts their quest to win the World Baseball Co- World Baseball Classic, which I think we're defending champs. I think we won the last one. Oh, we, uh, yeah, we did. Uh, because they didn't play one more recently because they were in the Olympics. Uh, so the United States starts their defense of the World Baseball Classic by taking on an old rival. A rival we fought a war against. Hmm. A certain revolution. Uh, that is the Great Britain. Uh, that is taking place at 9 p.m. Eastern on Fox. So, hey, Great Britain. We kicked your ass once. You kicked our ass once. I don't even remember how the football game or the soccer game went. We're not going to count that one. Mm-hmm. We're about to settle the score here. This is, this is a rubber match. Yeah. We're going to kick your ass again. Call that shot, Pad. Hell yeah. No, World Baseball Classic's always a fun time. Yeah. You know what I say? Because it, it always kind of gives me an all-star game vibe, but it 
definitely doesn't have that feel. Like, you know, you just see a lot of emotion yeah. and a lot of people just really playing baseball just for the fun of it. So yeah. I always love seeing that. I mean, listen, the coaching staff, if nothing, like the team's already loaded as fuck. Mm-hmm. Uh, because if I'm not mistaken, Adam Wainwright uh, of the St. Louis Cardinals is pitching for Team USA in game one. But like Pete Alonzo is playing. Mike Trout's playing. Fucking enough said there. But then you look at the uh, coaching staff for the team. Uh, so the co- the coach is managed by uh, the team's managed by 15 year Major League Baseball veteran Mark DeRosa. Uh, he played for Team USA in the 2009 World Baseball Classic. Hitting coach, some dude named Ken Griffey Jr. Hey now. And the pitching coach, some dude named Andy Pettit. So I'd say the coaching staff is pretty damn good. I would say so. I would say so. Uh, and then, in case you're curious, the World Baseball Classic final takes place on March 21st, almost a week ahead of the opening day for Major League Baseball. Definitely exciting times, I gotta say. Hell yeah. Get back in the baseball swing. Hell yeah. Nothing wrong with that. Uh, very quickly, because we got to talk some Rangers hockey. Trade deadline has came and gone. Yeah. And Rangers came out pretty good for it. Uh, unfortunately, though, on a two-game losing streak. Yeah. Hoping to bounce back at Montreal Thursday night. So hey, at least we're not blowing all of our wins in the regular season. No, we're not. Like a certain team. Oh, like who are you trying to refer to, Mr. Boston Bruins? I'll say it rhymes with Austin Ruins. Yes, which I got to say, the the pace that they're on right now, yeah, they're going to burn out by the time we get to the playoffs. I saw one of those crazy videos where it's like the the line graph or the bar graph that moves as time goes on. You know, yeah. so like NBA scoring this and that. But I saw one for this season for goal differential, and I will admit it is impressive. Oh yeah, no, you Boston is forty nine and eight. Like that is ridiculous. Last I checked, they didn't hand out chips in March. Exactly. So like I say, I I take it in stride right now. I mean, the Rangers are not doing so bad themselves. Thirteen or thirty five yeah. and nineteen. So it is what it is, but it doesn't matter. You just got in the playoffs and anything can happen. The Rangers have shown this time and time again, so I'm not super worried about Boston because at this pace, if they don't come back with the chip, the season is a colossal failure. And you know what? Having only eight losses, it's great for the regular season, but they don't give you the Stanley Cup for a regular season. Just putting it out there. Mm -hmm. So definitely keep an eye on the blue shirts as they move forward. New York Knicks basketball, nine yeah, in a row, yeah, looking on fire right now. Got, so, a du- got a double bang from Mike Breen the other yeah, night. Yeah, Emmanuel quickly, man, showed up for that double overtime game against the Celtics. Listen, it wasn't pretty, but it's a win is a win, and I'll take it. Uh, they are hosting the Charlotte Hornets tonight as we record, so going for game 10 Ooh. at the Garden, so could be a fun time, yeah. could, could be a real challenge. Yeah. Like I say, I'm just happy the team is looking like a team right now yes and playing phenomenal basketball so definitely a lot to be excited about if you're a new york knicks fan and that's all we really need to talk about here on the odph concerning basketball this is true but let us end talking some pro wrestling and we did promise at the beginning of the show i know it's cold outside but (laughs) hell froze over 28 degrees outside you want to talk aew oh one specific part of aew so let's also in case anybody is catching up uh, this past week was AEW's Revolution pay-per-view. The momentum-shifting pay-per-view yes. for AEW. Allegedly, if you believe it online. <laughs> and I will admit, and we talked about this on the latest edition of 607TWS, right now available on your favorite podcast player. And if you need a link, odphpodcast.com. Uh, Rich and I broke it down. And like the card, better than expected. Yeah. Solid B. Okay. Solid B card. Okay. However, though, there was an incident yeah. that has really taken on a life of its own. Understandably so. Yeah. So, Pad, do you want to take this or would you like me to? So, 
during the main event, which was between Maxwell Jacob Friedman, better known as MJF, and going up against uh, Brian Danielson. Boy, I got to make sure I don't do a Freudian slip there. Uh, Brian Danielson, uh, formerly known as Daniel Bryan in the WWE, for those who don't know, uh, for the AEW World Championship. So their, their main title, their biggest title. Uh, and it was a 60-minute Iron Man match. And from what I understand, because I didn't watch the pay-per-view just because I don't watch AEW, but I did listen to 607TWS. Uh-huh. And according to what you guys said, fairly early in the match, yes. there, there was a spot where MJF and, and Daniel Bryan were out in the crowd and that at one point MJF picked up what appeared to be a cup with a beverage of some sort in it and then proceeded to pour or th- what was it? Pour? He threw it. He threw said beverage onto said fan. Now, this fan was not in his 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, not even in his teens, might maybe 10 years old or younger. Not a not a very old fan. And everyone went, oh, my gosh, you know what the heck's going on? And, and for a lot of folks, they figured it was just water. Mm-hmm. as is the case but according to reports and you know we've not heard anything to confirm it but we've not exactly heard anything to say it's not true we'll say the allegedly allegedly you know we haven't heard one way or the other if it's true or not but allegedly uh there was tequila in said cup yeah and the child was according to reports none too pleased uh was very distressed the mother was beside herself as well and understandably so oh yeah i'm, I'm i don't care who's out there if if I got a kid and you throw alcohol in my kid's face, we're throwing hands, you know, and, and uh, according to reports, uh, Amanda Ho- uh, Hoover came out and consoled the kid. The kid was given a ton of merchandise, was invited to AEW Dynamite in Sacramento this week, uh, given a whole bunch of merchandise backstage. Uh, and according to one Tony Khan, the, the quote unquote best booker in the world, uh, allegedly, uh, you know, uh, he gave uh, MJF a stern talking to about the incident, according to what he said backstage at the press conference. Yeah, about mm-hmm. that. Um, no, I will say this. Uh, the incident was definitely perplexing. Yeah. Because if you're not familiar with the world of pro wrestling, uh, wrestlers do a lot to get the crowd to react. Oh, yeah. And MJF tries portraying himself as the worst human being possible. Yeah. And he does not break from his character often no and he called, he called he called skyline chili in so was it cleveland or cincinnati cincinnati he called skyline chili in cincinnati which for those of you who don't know that's where it's made mm-hmm. uh he called it mid yeah you know which uh elicited a reaction he said a lot more visceral things in in his time but yeah but the situation here at hand was he went in the crowd mm-hmm and the crowd was reacting, and and the one thing is when you go to a pro wrestling show, no matter where it is, locally or on the big stage, there's a certain line that you can't really cross, mm-hmm. at least in my opinion, and that is you can't go after a fan unprovoked, mm-hmm. even to try getting heat. Like it's one thing if you want to jaw with them a little bit, sure. and, you know, sure. trash talk, sure. And fans know, like, let's say the majority of fans get it and they oh, understand yeah. they're part oh, of yeah. the show. Oh, and, yeah. And I mean, and, and you will really don't see, you'll see wrestlers on the big stage, you know, like the AWs, the Impacts, the WWEs. They might jaw with them a little bit, but they won't really interact with them. It's only really in the indies where you see them going around the outside 
and the wrestler will one guy will wrestler will hold the other wrestler and they let a kid in the front row give him a chop. sure yeah you know but yeah this was not a good look no it wasn't a good look especially with mjf your world champion who is technically the face of your company yeah going in the crowd and some mom was you know yelling and being a fan yeah and she had a 10 year the, the kid looked 10 years old was not very old was not very old, sitting in his chair, just trying to enjoy the show. Mm-hmm. And you had MJF, for whatever reason, throw water in the kid's face. Now, allegedly, stuff like this has happened yeah. before. There is a story that Mick Foley was wrestling The Rock at some point, whether it was a house show or a live event or a TV event. I don't know. But I did read online that Mick Foley went to do a similar situation with The Rock and ended up throwing a cup of chewing tobacco spit into the rock's face. Yeah. So it happens, but there's a large difference between chewing tobacco and alcohol. Right, because at the time we all thought it was water. We still don't know. We're we, yeah. We that's why I say allegedly. allegedly. But at the same time, nobody said one way or the other. Nobody's yeah. Nobody's no, nobody's, nobody's come out and denied it. Right. But the situation is, unless you're part of the show in that manner, and I'll even go into like a little step here too. Sure. I have been to a certain indie fed locally. Okay. And I have been asked to do certain moments in the show. Oh, yeah. I know what you're talking about. Throwing a hat in the ring to to cause a riot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To having a cup that was going to be thrown on a wrestler. Yeah. By another wrestler standing behind me. Yeah. So a little peek behind the curtain. If you, if you know me well, you know who I'm talking about. Oh, I know. So that's that's one thing. But a 10-year-old fan is not necessarily going to be what we call in the wrestling business a plant. Mm-hmm. A, plant no. a planted person to do a a role in the show. Mm-hmm. You're, yeah, if you're putting somebody in the audience for a specific moment in the show to elicit a reaction out of the crowd... You're not choosing a child. Correct. Because there's going to be more than one person who takes up issue with that. Right. So what MJF did was cross a line. Oh, absolutely. And I hope the people in Jacksonville spoke to him. Oh, I. you know what? For as much as I give shit to Tony Khan, I believe him in this instance because I know we're using allegedly's and this and that, but... Just reading the optics and reading this on surface level, Mm -hmm. I think there's some credence to this was alcohol of some sort. Now, I've heard it was tequila. I've heard it was a tequila mix, whatever. I, you know, I think there's some credence to this because if it was just water, the kid wouldn't be as distressed as he reportedly was. The mother wouldn't be as beside herself as she reportedly was. And you wouldn't have Amanda Huber and other AEW officials go out to check on a kid for water and you wouldn't give him all a foam finger and all this merchandise and you wouldn't bring him backstage and offer him tickets to dynamite free in Sacramento, which I'm going to guess those are probably pretty goddamn decent seats. Oh, sure. Yeah. If in, I'll even be willing to bet that kid's featured on, on TV in some point, like they just show people in the crowd and they show him and him on TV. Mm-hmm. You don't do all that. If it was just water, because Liquid gets, hey, if you've never been to an American sporting event, liquid gets spilled all the time. Right, but here's the difference. Their performer did that on purpose. Oh, sure. So sure. I think what happened is regardless of what was in said liquid, 
they were running out. Sure, sure. Because the line was crossed. And it was a very bad look for MJF. I'm sorry. Oh, it was. You can't defend that. And even if he was trying to get heat, whatever the case was, you're throwing something at a 10-year-old kid sitting in his seat. Sure. Is a bad look. And I I will say this. You know my feelings towards AEW. I I we're not on the best of terms right now. We'll just put it that way. Uh, the relationship status is it's complicated. Yeah, but I will say this: I do applaud how quickly they reacted. Oh, I do too. To make sure, because you know what, they immediately came out after the lick was was thrown. Oh, sure, and I grant you the whole coming out thing. I'm I'm sure that's protocol. I'm sure that it is. But everything past that. Oh, sure. You don't do that if it was just water. You check on the kid. You make sure he's okay. But once they realized what it was and what had happened, yeah. It escalated further because, I'm sorry, you don't give a kid a foam finger and all this merchandise backstage and tickets to dynamite because he got drenched in water. Well, like I say. And again, allegedly, but I'm just reading yeah, the yeah, op. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just yeah. reading the op. No, no, I get you. But I'm saying this, though. If your performer crosses a line and does something like that. Sure. I'm not doubting they're doing it anyway, to be honest. But to whatever extra degree they went might have had something to do with what yeah. was actually in that yeah. that alcohol. You know, that that liquid, we'll say. Sure. They say it's allegedly alcohol. We don't know yet. But I will say this. I do applaud how quickly they reacted to the kid because when you're a fan going to a show like that, right? you shouldn't have to worry about a wrestler doing that unless right. you agree to be part of the show. Well, and especially at that age, that can determine whether that kid wants to go back to a show in that area. Oh, that could be traumatizing. You know, like that could that could be traumatizing for a kid, and that kid that kid may never want to go back to another AEW show live again. Yeah, or yeah, they say that, he may he may not want to go to pro wrestling. Period. You're right. That's that's a huge thing. And like I say, I applaud that AEW handled it as swiftly as they did. I'm hoping that they really did speak to MJF backstage about it. I'd, like I say, I don't know. Tony said he did. Great. I'll, say, I'll, I'll even say this. I, I, had a, I went to a haunted house as a kid, and a line was crossed by one of the perf- quote-unquote performers or whatever there, mm-hmm. you know, and scared the absolute loving shit out of me as a seven- or eight-year-old. Mm-hmm. To this day, I refuse to go in haunted houses because of it. Right. So that said, kudos to AEW for handling it quickly, and let this just be a lesson. Yeah. If you're a pro wrestler, and we do know we have a few that listen to the show, it's one thing to get heat the right way. Going after a 10-year-old kid and throwing something at him, yeah. not the way to do it. No. If you want to hear more about that, 607-TWS on your favorite podcast player. But let's end on a very quick and happier note. WWE WrestleMania season has taken a, a bit of a turn for the for the good. Yeah, so we're going to talk about some of the stuff that happened on Monday Night Raw last night. Uh, because we had a few more matches added to the WrestleMania card. Uh, had a little bit more uh, furthering along in the Bloodline storyline. Uh, you had uh, Bloodline showed up. It was Jimmy and Paul Heyman along with Solo. You know, Paul Heyman was telling, hey, you know what Roman wants. you got to handle this Sammy thing mm. or else. Right. You know, had a great matchup with Kevin. Uh, Solo Sokoa had a great matchup in the opening uh, contest or opening matchup of the, sh- of the night uh, against Solo Sokoa. Uh, did end in a DQ, although there was Sami Zayn. So, uh, what is it? Kevin was getting attacked by Solo and Jimmy when Sammy came out for the rescue. Sammy again tried pleading with Kevin to do it. And he's like, "No, I'm not doing this. I'm going to keep doing this by myself. Mm-hmm. You, you can crawl back. You know what? You can crawl back to Roman. I'm sure he'll take you back. You kiss his ass enough. He'll do this. I'm going to keep doing me." So. I thought they would have pulled the trigger and gotten him back to because we're like three weeks away or whatever it is from WrestleMania, mm-hmm. you know. So it's kind of a shit or get off the pot timeline. But that might happen this Friday because uh, later in the night, if you were watching in the background, there was a certain American Nightmare talking with Kevin Owens. 
Yeah, which I think will play a big factor into what happened at the main event. Mm-hmm. So I'll get into I'll give my take for that okay. when we get there. Okay. Uh, so a couple other matchups you had during the night. You had uh, Bianca Belair take on Carmella, although she seems to be teaming with Chelsea Green these days. Uh, which hey, if they make them into a tag team, I'm all for this. I'm all for it. That but... matchup I did not expect, and I would not have put together in my head but i'm seeing it on screen and i'm liking what i'm seeing yes it's very good uh you had dolph ziggler take on almost uh which almost won uh via choke choke bomb uh this matchup set up by the wonderful mustafa ali as a favor to dolph ziggler because reasons yeah i don't know what's going on there but yeah. you know like if they have a match at wrestlemania whether it's pre-show or something i'm all yeah. i'm all for it uh, you had Johnny Gargano beat Finn Balor uh, via one final beat. Uh, although I will say, not nothing wrong with the match. Match was good. They teased like a little face together with Dexter Loomis and Rhea Ripley, which yeah, I heard something about this. They're like Dexter Loomis came out. Dexter Loomis did his usual thing. The only thing missing was his axe. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there was one point where Rhea Ripley was on the announcer side of the ring. And then Dexter Loomis was on kind of like the entrance uh, entrance ramp side of the ring. Yeah. And, they were, and Loomis was just standing there stoically, as he usually does. And Rhea kind of leaned to one side, and she just did her little, you know, wave with her hand. And I went, you know, if I ever needed to see an intergender matchup, it'd now be between those two. That would be wild. Oh, my God. It'd be so good. Uh, you had Piper Niven defeat Nikki Cross. Uh, Chad Gable uh, defeated Baron Corbin. Uh, now, the stipulation with this was you've got the ongoing situation with maximum male models looking to recruit Otis. Yeah. Uh, which, hey, this is... Make it happen. Make it happen. This is this is great TV. This is awesome. Baron Corbin thought they were talking about him, and he, and he wants to join them. And, and Maxine Dupree says, you know what? I do think I see some potential in you. But you got to earn your way into our group. I want you to go out and beat that little shrimp, uh, Chad Gable. Uh, Chad Gable was able to win, so that did not happen. Uh, and then in your main event, you did have Sami Zayn uh, defeat uh, Jimmy Uso via roll-up. Uh, but after the match is the big talking point because you had uh, Jay Uso show up towards the end mm-hmm. and appear to unite with Sammy and going, hey, I'm with you. And they hugged and, oh, we'll do this together. Rah, rah, you know, go team. Only for uh, Jay Uso to super kick him and go, what? You thought I was choosing you? I'm choosing family. You're not family. Yeah. No, it was perfect cinema. They they set it up amazingly. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wish AEW did something like this with the ending of the Soraya Ruby Soho sure. and Jamie Hader match because sure. they did their they did their uh, big turn after the match after they all three of them had a competitive match. It didn't really work. This worked tremendously because what they've been trying to do is set up the storyline where the Usos are going to take on Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens. This has been the plan since day one, and they did it. Jay Uso, give him all the damn awards. I've said this on God, Twitter. Yeah. I've said this everywhere. Supporting actor of the year, and it's not even close. Mm-hmm. And setting this up, I know I was getting into a few chats today about this. This moment, in my opinion, works because you solidify the bloodline is working together. Sami Zayn is is target number one. Oh, yeah. They're not going to do anything to Cody Rhodes. And when Cody came running out to make the big save, they're really trying to establish the bloodline as heels because, let's face it, they've been in this weird 
tweener phase where the fans are really into them because they're the cool heels right yeah the fan this is this is the case of like the fans should be booing them but in a lot of instances they're like all right yeah so they're going back to making them true heels which i'm okay with yeah because that's what's going to connect at wrestlemania because the drama has been building with Sami Zayn and the usos especially Mm -hmm. for months now right so what's going to happen whether it's this week or next week i've already i've already called it you're going to have Solo Sokoa and the Usos take on Cody Rhodes, Sami Zayn, Kevin Owens mm-hmm. in a six-man tag. Where That's Could where be. that speech comes together. The Cody is in Kevin's ear saying, listen, you got to make it work because if you want to take down the bloodline, you can't do this alone. Sure. I can't do this alone. He's going to give this like impassioned speech to Kevin, sure. and it's going to finally kick in. He's like, the American, I'll be... American uh, National Anthem will be playing in the background. Yeah, like he's going to do some crazy <laughs> speech. It's going to be an amazing promo, and it's going to yeah. work, yeah. and it's going to sell it. And it's going to be phenomenal. Oh, it's going to be awesome. A couple other matches for WrestleMania that were announced and confirmed uh, during the night. Uh, in a six-woman tag match, you will have the women's tag team champions in Becky Lynch and Lita teaming up with Trish Stratus to take on damage control in Bailey, Dakota Kai, and Io Sky. Love this match. Oh, my God. Just curious what they're going to do with the women's tag team titles beforehand. I think they might drop them to Shayna, Bla- Shayna Baszler and uh, Ronda Rousey. Could be, or, you know, because I don't see Trish and Lita losing on WrestleMania. I could see them feeling in a certain type of way, you know, uh, the night after WrestleMania and then losing them the night after WrestleMania. Like they do, like they do an open challenge. Some other tag team in, in the main roster comes out, challenges them, not damage control. Cause why would you have done this? Right. But some other tag team come out, challenge them and they drop them there. Maybe. I mean, yeah. I, I just think that they want to find something for Ronda for mania. Sure. So I think the tag team titles be up for grabs. Like whether they strip them from sure. them or something, they, they'll do something. Sure. Uh, also announced and confirmed, Seth freaking Rounds is going to be taking on Logan Paul. No shocker here. No. Excited. Really excited to see this match. Definitely check out the highlights from this though, just because boy was this crowd hot for Logan Paul and Seth Rollins. Holy shit! Uh, also announced and confirmed uh, is Austin Theory taking on John Cena. Uh, somebody cue in the arms of an angel because rest in peace to Austin Theory's career. John Cena buried his ass. John Cena, one of the greatest of all time to do it in a program with Austin Theory is nothing but a win. Oh, my God. But I think this showed a couple things. One, John Cena can turn this on in his sleep. Don, John was on his A-plus game yeah. for this. My God. And say what you will. He might be gone from the business, but the business is never gone from him. No. He understands what they have with Austin Theory. Theory, love him or hate him, is a future superstar in this business. Oh, he's phenomenal. He's great. And what John mentioned is perfect because he wants this is gonna be the the ultimate litmus test to see where he ranks. Mm-hmm. If he can hang with John Cena and and put on a great match, which I'm sure they're going to. Oh god, yeah. This will solidify him yeah. and move him forward in the card. What's going to happen at Mania, and I'm still convinced of this, is Cena's going to win the belt from him night Mm -hmm. one. Mm -hmm. Night two, he's going to do open challenge, and that is where you're going to have Jay White come out and beat John Cena for the U.S. title. And that's going to be a huge moment. I'm still sticking to my guns about this one. You know what? I'm going to to sign on with that. I like that. Uh, moment Moment of the night, though was when they're going back and forth and Austin Theory decided to bring up the the barb that is Cena's bald spot. Yeah. And Cena pulled off his hat and did show, yeah, the bald spot's still there, just combed over a little bit. And and Cena looks back at him and eventually goes, yeah, I do have a bald spot, but I'd rather have that than piped in crowd noise because nobody cares. Yeah, that's the whole thing. Holy fuck. Like, Cena dusted off the old golden shovel one more time and 
buried his ass. Well, Cena, Cena is really testing what this kid's made of. Uh, you know what? And he's doing the right thing. You know what it reminded me of a certain level and not necessarily this bad, but it reminded me a little bit of it reminded me when Roman was in the ring with Cena and Roman forgot where he was. Yeah. And Roman was just so outclassed by Cena on the mic. Like not necessarily that bad of an example, but like a similar thing, like Cena was just on a whole other level. Well, that's the whole thing. Cause John understands, like I say, he comes back to the business. This is why he came. He comes back. He loves the business Yeah, and he understands the future of the businesses and the superstars you have. So you know what? If you're not ready for the spotlight, he's going to expose it. So theory is going to get tested. Sure. How he survives this is anybody's guess. Sure. But I'm going to tell you right now, this is going to be a great match at Mania. Yeah. Theory, for everybody that thought that he was going to be gone since Vince McMahon, is gone from creative. I do not want to hear because he attended an event that he is back running it in any way, shape, or form. Allegedly with a mustache. Yeah. I don't... Like, listen... John Cena and Vince McMahon are friends, no matter yeah. how people would want to try spinning it in any other way. Yeah, and plus, Stanford is not that far from Boston. Exactly. There's a reason he was there, and he was being a fan. Yeah. Everybody needs to calm down. And if you're really still crying a river about Brock Lesnar's not facing Bray Wyatt, um, listen, get over it. Yeah. Just going to put it out there. Also, just got to point out, John Cena, Lita, Edge, and Trish Stratus were all on Monday Night Raw in 2023. What fucking year is it? I love it. Yeah, love so it. I still got to wait on the Thier, uh, Edge, uh, Finn Balor matchup because there's apparently going to be something next week about that. Uh, but the last one we got to talk about is it was announced uh, on SmackDown last week that there's going to be a fatal five-way match uh, on this upcoming uh, week, uh, up, upcoming episode of SmackDown to determine who is going to face Gunther for the Intercontinental Championship at WrestleMania. And your participants are Seamus, Drew McIntyre, Karrion Cross, Kofi Kingston, and L.A. Knight. Drew Mac. I'm going to say shenanigans, and it's going to be, you know, a six-man ladder match. Just because I'm looking on the Wikipedia page uh, for this for this WrestleMania card. They're all singles matches. There's there's no, you know, outside of the six-woman tag match. There's no stipulations with this. We need at least one stipulation on this card. Well, I mean. And, and you remember WrestleMania 32? We had the phenomenal uh, IC, title, IC title ladder match. It would be something if they want to do a six-man ladder match. I'm all right with it. Um, I don't know necessarily if they would do it since Money in the Bank has been such a big thing, though. Yeah, that's true. That's the only thing. But yeah. listen, if they want to go with it, yeah. I think that's a great idea and gives everybody something to do a mania. So yeah. like, I'm not I'm not complaining about it one bit. Yeah. So but those are all the matches announced. Uh, you might be wondering, hey, what about Bobby Lashley Blair Wyatt? Well, it's still playing out. Uh, Bobby Lashley did cut a promo about how he showed up to SmackDown. He got attacked by uh, Bo Dallas. Oh, I'm sorry, Uncle Howdy. Yeah. Uh, which you, listen, I heard the laugh. You can't tell me at this point it's not. No, it's, it's him. It's not it's Bo him. Dallas. We all know it's him. You know, but then he came back to Monday Night Raw, cut a promo on him, uh, and while Bray, neither Bray Wyatt nor Uncle Howdy showed up on Monday Night Raw. Uh, the screens behind Bobby Lashley kept flashing with the Bray Wyatt six logo. Yeah. So something's happening. Something's happening, but this is WrestleMania season. So anything is possible. A lot more matches are getting announced. Yeah. It's going to be a great time to watch the show. So if you haven't gotten the Peacock streaming service yet, you might want to get it before yeah. WrestleMania. And definitely if you're into independent pro wrestling, get fight plus uh, raise $2. Yeah. So it's now seven ninety nine a month, but yeah. it's still well worth it to get a lot of great independent pro wrestling. We also got to give a shout out to former independent wrestler who has been here in Binghamton several times, uh, Joe Gacy, uh, going to be one of the wrestlers in the upcoming DLC packs for the new WWE game. Ooh, 
Yeah, he's gonna be he's gonna be DLC in one of the upcoming DLC packs for the WWE game. So hey, he's gonna be in his first ever WWE game officially. So congratulations to Joe Gacy. I'm gonna have to pre-order that tonight. Yeah, I gotta make sure I get that set up. A lot of great things going on pro wrestling, and like I say, if you're looking for pro wrestling coverage, six or seven TWS, and obviously the ODPH will be talking about it moving forward into WrestleMania season. Let's keep it very short and very sweet for anything and everything that is the ODPH, odphpodcast.com. That's it for the sports edition of the ODPH. For the one only Padawan J. Fuck the Astros. I'm your host, Ken. I'm thank you as always for listening to the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. We'll see you next time. Gotta be down to the punch. Gotta be down to the punch. Cause they can't bring.